Hey everybody, you're listening to the Poema Church Podcast. Today we're sharing a message from our latest series. We believe the Word of God in Scripture is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website, poemachurch.ca. It is always an honor and a privilege to be with our Poema family here. And uh, I love that Desiree's, well, she's not here right now, but she's been here, and, and that's great. And, um, and we love you deeply, and uh, we love this church family deeply, this, this city. And um, today, I, I, I want to just share... Um, what I'm calling 11 principles of the promise. 11 principles of the promise. Because when you walk through seasons, you begin to understand the seasonality of following God. There's a seasonality to following Jesus that we, we would like to ignore to be honest. What we would prefer is, is a beautiful sunny day and we just walk along skipping, holding hands with Jesus, swinging our hands. And everything is nice and everything feels good and everything's right, but the truth is uh, the seasonality of following Jesus directly coincides with the seasonality of our lives. And our lives go through ebbs and flows and ups and downs and all kinds of different things. And there's all kinds of moments and seasons. And, and so what we can do is we can learn, though, to live on the front side instead of on the back side. See, when you live on the back side, you're driven by circumstance. And every time you step into a circumstance, uh, that circumstance determines the seasonality of following Christ. When you put Jesus first and you follow him and, and you stay closely to him, what you will begin to discover as you uh, unlock some keys in following Jesus is that the seasonality of following Jesus will lead your situation and your circumstance. So you're then not your life and your lifestyle and the season that you're in is not then determined by what's going on around you, but it's determined by Jesus. Now, here's the, the frustrating part is that when you follow Jesus, you will find that you still walk through dark seasons. <laughs> Wait, what? I can't compute this because if I'm following Jesus, everything should be nice and it should be fine and it should be good. No, no, no. That's that's a myth that we've adopted, that it's safe and fun for the whole family to follow Jesus. If you read the Gospels, it's, it's clear, like, people didn't like Jesus. They wanted to kill him repeatedly. Like, he literally would just disappear into a crowd because he's Jesus. As they tried to murder him. I don't even know if you recall the story, but he ends up dead. <laughs> now, resurrected, but he ends up dead. And so... Um, I really hate to talk this much before we read scripture, but I, I just have to share a picture that, that I saw over worship, and this is not my normal default setting. Um, that's, that's for Pastor Sammy when he comes. And Sammy Robinson's gonna be here at the end of the month, really good friend of mine. We were just together in Montreal, uh, evangelists out of our church. Anyways, come to church that weekend, whatever that is. That's, this is more his deal. But the picture that I saw over the church is an overcast day. But you know, it's the kind of overcast day that it's not too dark. It's gray, but it's kind of bright. And as a church, I believe you're just in this season of overcastness where it's bright, but it ain't light. And then I saw a picture of these sunspots coming through as the worship began to shift. But there's kind of, there's two levels in, and I'm not sure how much Pastor Josh unlocked him, like he, he did a great job last week, but there is worship, but then there's also praise. And there's, praise has a, a declarative nature. Worship is like a beholding. You know, like you go to a museum and you, 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 you're there to, you know, just 
behold this incredible piece of art. And I mean, I'm not good at this. I just kind of want to go move to the next one. But you, you, and that's the problem with our worship is we often don't take enough time to behold. But, you know, you kind of, the way the light hits it, the stroke of the brush that, you know, that's worship, but praise has a declarative nature uh, where you begin to declare the goodness of God over your situation. And the picture that I just kept seeing is that the sunspots keep coming through as praise begins to create a breakthrough in that the condition of the church is directly correlated to our ability to praise and worship. And you're like, well, yeah, no, we, we know those things. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm talking about to be able to pray and praise and declare the goodness of God in the midst of a life situation or circumstance that is not incredibly positive. Because we're all good to praise our way on a happy day. We're all, we're all good to praise our way in a good situation. We're all good. It's really hard when it seems overcast and it seems dark and it seems gloomy and it just seems like you can't break through. It just seems like something's off, but it's pretty good. Like we should be fine. Do I wear a jacket? Do I not wear a jacket? So let's dive into the word and we'll, we'll just look at... <laughs> I'm going to try in 30 minutes, 11 principles for the promise. Now, just, we're going to go to Psalm 106. Instead of me paraphrasing the journey of the Israelites, I'm just going to read it in the psalmist's words. If you need more context, go watch The Prince of Egypt. Uh, I'm sure it's available on a streaming platform near you. Uh, we're going to just follow the Israelites' journey. And, and some context for why we're looking back to look forward is that the Apostle Paul in Romans 15 actually tells us that the, the Old Testament, these scriptures are for our learning so that we can go and we can extract these principles. Uh, and, and I don't want to just boil down the word of God to a set of principles because I think that's a mistake that the church has made for generations. Uh, it's particularly the last two decades. It's just we're extracting principles. No, no, no. But we're going to really understand the journey of the Israelites as they moved into the promised land so that we can understand how to move into a new season. Does that make sense? Okay, all right, Psalm 106, verse 7. I'm reading out of the New Living today. Uh, Our ancestors in Egypt were not impressed by the Lord's miraculous deeds. They soon forgot his many acts of kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled against him at the Red Sea. Even so, he saved them to defend the honor of his name and to demonstrate his mighty power. He commanded the Red Sea to dry up. He led Israel across the sea as if it were a desert. So he rescued them from their enemies and redeemed them from their foes. Then the water returned and covered their enemies and not one of them survived. Then his people, then his people believed his promises. Then they sang his praise. That's what happens when praise is a lagging indicator. God does something and then I praise. We're trying to flip that. Yet how quickly they forgot what he had done. They wouldn't wait for his counsel. In the wilderness, their desires ran wild, testing God's patience in that dry wasteland. So he gave them what they asked for. But he sent a plague along with it. The people in the camp were jealous of Moses and envious of Aaron and the, the Lord's holy priest. Do you ever read a, a piece of, of, of scripture and then you just have questions? That's generally how this goes for me. I read and I have questions. Uh, in the wilderness, their desires ran wild. We can all piece that together. Testing God's patience. Now that's, that's something. So he gave them what they asked for. So they were doing whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, however they wanted, with whomever they wanted. Tested God's patience. But do you notice what they were jealous for? Verse 16, the people in the camp were jealous of Moses and envious of Aaron. The two people who were set apart lived lives of holiness. Moses, a friend of God, who would go into the dwelling place of God, speak to him as a friend, face-to-face-ish. And while they were doing whatever they wanted to do, the two people that they were most envious of were the people who had nothing to do, were the people who would have nothing to do with it. 
It's counterintuitive. Because of this, the earth opened up and it swallowed Dathan and buried Abiram and the other rebels. Just, if you want to read more about this, you're going to have to because, yes, it swallowed people into the ground. Fire fell upon their followers. A flame consumed the wicked. The people made a calf at Mount Sinai. They bowed before an image made of gold. Get this. They traded their glorious God for a statue of a grass-eating bull. They forgot God, their savior, who had done such great things in Egypt, such wonderful things in the land of Ham, such awesome deeds at the Red Sea. So he declared he would destroy them. But Moses, his chosen one, stepped between the Lord and the people. He begged him to turn his anger and not destroy them. The people refused, verse 24, get this, I think Des shared this, the people refused to enter the pleasant land for they wouldn't believe his promise to care for them. Verse 25, instead, they grumbled in their tents and refused to obey the Lord. When you're about to step in, can you imagine being somebody who's about to step into the promise of God, but instead of stepping into the promise of God, you would rather step back into your tent or into your house and grumble and murmur and complain and refuse to obey the Lord. So instead of, I would, you know what, instead I have a choice to make. I can either worship the Almighty God, submit my life to him, follow him in every season, no matter the circumstance, I can obey him and then therefore step into the next season that he has for me, which is filled with hope and life and wholeness and freedom. Or I can make a choice in my own decision-making process, go, you know, it seems overcast today. I ain't gonna go outside. I'm gonna stay inside. I'm gonna grumble. I'm gonna complain. I'm gonna just talk about how, how bad my circumstance is instead of activating my faith and taking a step to obey him to walk into the promise. So the question is, where are you today? To provide further detail, those who entered the promised land, those who got to go in were the kids and the grandkids of the parents who entered. The parents didn't make it. They wandered and wandered and wandered. This is Deuteronomy 135. Not one of you from this wicked generation will live to see the good land I swore to give your ancestors. So as we're preparing now for the promise of God and the promise of God for Poema is a new season. that you're defined by what's ahead and by who you follow, not by what's behind. But humanity in history, we just, we repeat ourselves, we go, we go in cycles over and over and over again. And so we have a choice to make. Will we follow Jesus into what's next? Or will we just live a life grumbling and complaining at the overcast sky and the seasonality of our lives? So to move into the promised land, promised land is just another way to say that would be God's prepared place. I believe that there's a prepared place, not a physical location, um, well, maybe another physical location, but not a physical location for this community, but a prepared place of wholeness and life and freedom for this family. So the question then is, how do we enter the promised land? How do we enter the promise? How do we step into the promise of God? This is Joshua 3, so you can just come with me. We're gonna try and move through Joshua 3, 4, and 5 now, okay? We're gonna just take it, just take it easy. We're fine, everyone relax, it's okay. It's okay, there's a deep sigh that I just heard, I think. She's like, no, they were serious about three o'clock. Three chapters? Well, Lord willing. Joshua 3, verse 1. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped out before the crossing. Do you ever go into it like a new neighborhood in, in a city and you're like, how did they name that that? I feel like that's what we're talking like. They were in Acacia Grove. 
what a place. Like, that sounds like a place to live, you know? That sounds like a, that sounds like a high-end neighborhood with three-car garages and the pool out back. It's just like, man, where do you live? I live in Acacia Grove. That sounds like the land of, of plenty. Now, here, here's, here's the, the funny thing. The first, the first thing that we gotta do if we're gonna enter the promised land is we gotta get out of Acacia Grove, but Acacia Grove was kind of known by, by, by another name. There's a transliteration in, in, in other translations. I'm reading out the New Living, but other translations, if you go right back to the original language, uh, the, the name for Acacia Grove, which sounds so nice and so welcoming in like a gated community, is Shittim. It's a trans, like it's the transliteration. It's what, like it just means acacia. Like that's, that's how they would say it. But the first principle to step into the promise is you gotta get out of Shittim. Yeah. See, because here's what happened in, in, in Shittim is that <laughs> we're adults together here. I mean, I know what I did when I made the point, but. If you're taking notes, write down Numbers 22 to 25. If you want to understand what happened at Shittim, it was a place of compromise. It's a place of compromise. It was a place of cleansing and a place of transition. But the defining feature was it was the last stop before the promised land. And even at the last stop before the new season, Compromise crept in. If you want to step into the promise, you got to get out of Shittim. Joshua 3, verse 1, early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before the crossing. It was a place of promise in a place, sorry, a place of compromise and a place of cursing. But the Lord purifies and the Lord protects. Things are gonna be different. It's a new season. But here's what we need to understand as a church. In order to enter the new, you have to exit the old. In order to enter the new, you have to exit the old. Uh, Joshua 3, 14, so the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It's gonna be different. It's not gonna be the same. Now here's the thing, in, in church communities, this is really hard. Entering new seasons is really, 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 really hard. Because we have rhythms and we have routines and we have relationships and we just like to keep those things going over and over and over again. That's literally the definition of insanity. To just go in circles over and over and over again. But that's what we do. That's our human nature. Let's just rinse and repeat. We'll do the thing. We'll have the conference. We'll go to the service. It'll only go so far. Worship will hit a ceiling. It's okay. Why? Because we don't want to go anywhere else. We don't want to follow God. We don't want to take new territory. Why? Because I'm comfortable. And when I'm comfortable, I'm in an Acacia Grove. And when I'm in Acacia Grove, thing is just nice. And when I get in in Acacia Grove and things get too comfortable, I get bored. So what do I start to do when I get bored? I start to compromise because all of a sudden there's all these other opportunities and things just seem nice and they seem exciting and then no one's really gonna notice, right? Sometimes you gotta break things before there's breakthrough. Come on, you're in a breaking which means there's a breakthrough. Number two, you gotta follow the leader. Joshua three, verse three and four. When you see the Levitical, wow, I can't speak. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the Ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. So the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God dwelt, the Holy Spirit. There's a thing on the top, it's these angels and they're a big box and they carried it on big poles and the worshipers would go out front. The worshipers would go out front. Remember how I, I told you the way that we shift the, the spiritual climate is through worship? Because the worshipers go out front, they lead the way. The Levites go first and they carry the presence of God. They're literally carrying it on their shoulders. It was like a literal box and there's a thing called the mercy seat which was the, the wings of the angels and that's where the presence of, of God 
dwelt. So if you want to move into the next season, you've got to follow the leader. And in order to follow the leader, you have to put your eyes on Jesus. When you put your eyes on Jesus, he's going to lead you. Why? Because you haven't been this way before. He said, you're going to follow me and, and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna just follow me and you're going to keep me right in your line of sight. Don't get too close. Don't get right up and just stare at my feet. Because there's ebbs and flows, there's elevation changes, there's, 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 there's different terrain that we're going to have to traverse. So just keep your eye in front of me, keep, a, keep an, a, a, a real nice distance, don't be too far back, just stay right with me, stay, keep on pace with me, and I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you through. The Holy Spirit was guiding them. Why? Because they have never been that way before. And in order to move into a new season, you have to understand that you have not been this way before. Because when you can acknowledge that you have not been this way before, you're, you're willing and you're, you're able to not fall into the old patterns and the old routines that will keep you where you've been. And the Holy Spirit is going to lead you, but there's going to be this opportunity for you just to kind of slip off the edge and be like, but this is how we've always done it. Is this making sense? So you gotta let the Holy Spirit lead. The worshipers will go out front. It's a new place, it's a new way. So draw near, be people of his presence and understand that he goes before you. He goes before you. Joshua 3 verse 11, look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, each one from each tribe. The priest will carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. That brings us to number three. We're doing well. We're moving quickly. We're, we're good. We're not getting bogged down. Number three is get ready, get ready, get ready. There's three get readies with an exclamation mark after each one. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Joshua 3, verse five. The Lord, oh, sorry, then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. So we're talking on two levels today. We're speaking on one level, which is speaking to the church as, as, as a broader body and a community. And then we're speaking on the personal level. And I, this comes in on the personal level because Joshua was talking to the, the, the crowd, the nation, all of the people. But he was talking about their personal lives. And he said, listen, you need to clean your shit them up. Because what was that? That was their compromise. He's got, you gotta clean that up because today God's gonna do great things among you. Today you're gonna be in his presence. It's been okay while you've kept a distance, a long distance, while you stood a long way off and you watched him do his thing and you were just in a waiting season that you, know, you just got bored and you got distracted. That was maybe okay for them, but today God will do amazing and wonderful things among you. It said this, that he will do great wonders among you. Now here's what's insane about that statement. These were the kids and the grandkids of the people who saw God part the Red Sea. They had heard stories of his miraculous power and they had lived in a cycle of God's provision. What God providing looked like for them was manna every day, except Sabbath, and quail when they complained about not having enough protein. They understood God to be the God who feeds and the God who clothes because scriptures say their clothes never wore out and their sandals never wore through. Now, my boys, Everett and Kingston, are 10 and seven. I can tell you, they can't stay in any size of anything at any time. Like we bought them clothes on vacation six weeks ago. They're both outgrown the pants. Like you know, you know, so how, that's a miracle. The miracle of God is that they stayed clothed in the desert for 40 years and nothing wore out and the sizes always worked. I mean, my Lord, if my size, anyways. It all kind of worked, but they were used to that provision of God. So the power of God was defined by this daily provision, and they were about to see God do great wonders among them. Why is that significant? Because they had always heard the story, now they're about to live the story. But if you're gonna take a step into the promise of God, we have to purify ourselves. We have to set ourselves apart. Why? Because Jesus wants us to look more and more like him. And he is the holy one who 
who is set apart and go, oh, here you go. Now you're slapping me with the rules. I'm not slapping you with the rules. I'm talking about seeking God's face and being obedient to his voice in your life. There's a big difference between slapping you with the rules. Now, I can tell you that while you're begging for some instructions for life, he provided some, and we've just been complaining about this for a little while because we're like, well, really, all of them, though? But that applies to Phil Owen only, right? Doesn't, that's not for me. No, no, it's for you. And then, so let's just explain conviction for a moment. But we have to understand that, that the Holy Spirit will speak to you about something. Let's take Pastor Josh for an instance. And let's pick something very crazy just so that we can really make a point. The Lord might speak to Pastor Josh and he might say, listen, you can never eat smoked brisket again. It's an idol in your life. And for you to be able to take a step into this next season, you gotta let it go because you've put it before me and everything else now. I mean, we, nobody does this with smoked meat. Okay, maybe, maybe it was too close to home. Maybe that was the, should have picked something a little bit more ridiculous, all right. But here's the thing. So what Pastor Josh does is he understands that God is speaking. He uses a level of discernment to understand that God is speaking to him about something very specific in his life that is deeply connected to his heart condition. So what Pastor Josh should not do and will not do because he knows this already is that, I'm being serious about that, he knows this already, is that he will not come up here and then preach a message to you that you should stop eating smoked meat and that you can no longer have brisket if you want to enter God's promise or you want to grow deeper in your relationship with God. Why? Because you do not superimpose a personal conviction on everybody. Right? So a, a personal conviction is God speaks to you. The confusion that we get is sometimes we've confused, confused personal conviction with just like conviction and we go, listen, I'm feeling this so we can't do this as a community. No, that's your issue, not our issue. Okay, so when I say purify yourselves, you might go, man, I cannot believe they watched that. Okay, well let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. And you just stop watching it. That's enough on that. Number four. Rolling in the deep. Rolling in the deep. Rolling in the deep. <laughs> Joshua 3, verse 15. So this morning in the hotel, I started dancing around the hotel room to make Des laugh. And I said, I think I know what your problem is. Oh, I shouldn't tell you this, but. Because she's been feeling sick all weekend, and she's like, ah, oh, you know. She's like, I don't know if I did my best last night. I was like, listen, I think I figured it out. You just, you take it, this is too serious for you. You're just, you just need to like, just relax here. And just like, so I started dancing, and she said, you're an idiot, and moved on, and it was fine. <laughs> And then she said, no, you're gonna have fun today. I'm like, listen, it's okay. it's okay to have fun in this context. It's okay to have fun in the presence of God. It's okay to, to have fun because uh, God is fun and he created emotions and he created personality. And it's also okay to take things very, very seriously. So when we're talking about rolling in the deep, it says this in Joshua 3.15, it was the harvest time and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. What we understand is that the, to move into the promised land, uh, God was leading this new generation to another river crossing. I don't know if you know this, but this happened twice. This wasn't just a one-time occurrence. So he, he led them to the riverbanks, and when they get to the riverbanks, you know, they, they understood what was gonna happen. It was gonna dry up, they were gonna cross. Now, I'm thinking that there was maybe one or two or three or four or 17 million skeptics in the group where they're like, did the Red Sea really part? Or was there like, like a sandbar? And we crossed across the sandbar. So then they get, to the, they get to the river that they're supposed to cross. And this thing isn't like a trickling stream. It's harvest time, so it's overflowing. So they get to the banks, and somebody's like, oh, my God, we're going to cross that thing. Do you think there's a sandbar? Like, do, do you, like, is that how we're gonna get across this? No, 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 no. Things aren't always uh, as they appear. My, my friends, you get into these situations. We find ourselves in situations of life where it's like, man, stuff is overflowing and not in a good way. Like, it is like 
just keeps coming and it doesn't stop. Can we even get through this? Yes, you can, because when Jesus leads you through, you're gonna make it through. He's gonna make a way where there is no way and he's gonna show you that if he did it once, he can do it again. I love this, that the banks were overflowing. But get this, as soon as the feet, this is uh, verse 15, as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance. Sometimes you gotta get ankles deep in the overflow, in the mess, the water starts to move. You're like, I don't know that I can do this because the current is strong and it's overflowing. It's a big river, but he's leading me and now we're carrying this box with God's presence. And like, if you're a priest, you're like, what if I drop the Ark of the Covenant into the river? (laughs) Like, what if my feet aren't? Sure. Sometimes you gotta get ankles deep when Jesus is leading you, because circumstances aren't always ideal, but the plans and purposes of God always are. Number five, Lindsay, we're, we're halfway through. Okay, not even half, we've got 11, okay. We'll go fast, we won't. Okay, Joshua three, this'll make it better though, I promise. Joshua 3, verse 15, it was harvest season. I just read that. Uh, the Jordan was overflowing its banks. As soon as the feet of the priests uh, who were carrying the ark touched the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry, and all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Uh, here's the, the fifth point is that Jesus is with you. The, God is leading you into a new season. He does it in front of you. He goes before you, but he's right in the middle and he's around back. Let me, let me show you. Verse 17. Meanwhile, so notice the priest carrying the presence of God stepped into the water. The moment it got up to their ankles, it started parting. So they step into it. The river opens up. They keep walking into it. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Joshua 4.10. The priests who were carrying the Ark stood in the middle of the river until all of the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed. And when everyone was safely on the other side, the priests crossed over with the ark of the Lord as the people watched. Watch this. The Holy Spirit went before them. He stood right in the middle as they passed by. And then he took, he had their back and walked right behind them. Sometimes we have faith for Jesus to lead us. But in the midst of our desperation and our pain and our brokenness, we say, where are you in the middle of this? And he says, I'm right here. I'm right here in the middle. I'm right here in the middle. I'm right here in the middle. I'm not only in front of you. I go before you, but I'm right here in the middle. I'm right here in the mess. I'm right here in the muck. Because that river bed was muddy and it was sticky and it was gross and your sandals were getting dirty and it was nasty and there was gunk in your toes. And he says, right in that moment when there's gunk on your toes, I'm right there in the middle with you. I don't just go before you and I leave you to figure it out. I'm right there in the middle with you. And as you come up out of it, as you walk into the next season, as you walk into the next promise and he's leading you and he's in the middle and you are on your way into the next thing, he wants you to know that he's got your back, that he's right behind you, that he follows up behind you, that his presence is 360. He surrounds you. It may look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by the presence of God as you move into a new season you need to know he's going to lead you he's right there in the middle but he's got your back I have so many more 
just going to, I'm going to edit this list. Number six, life finds a way. And if Linda wasn't here, I'd sing you the Jurassic Park theme song. It's chaos theory. The water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathan. The water below at that point flowed down to the Dead Sea. Just, I need to just, just reset. In the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Can I tell you that when God makes a way, life spills out and it spills over. Get ready, church, that as you enter a new season, that God is about to bring dead things and dry things to life, things that have no out or no outflow. The, red, the Dead Sea was a dead sea because it had no outflow. That's why churches are dead. That's why communities of faith die, because we say, it's about me receiving God. I come here to receive from you today, Jesus. No, you come here to worship the King of all kings. You come here to worship the King of all kings. And as you lift up his name and as you crown him as king, he is more than enough. And he has all that you would need for whatever you need before you can even ask, think, imagine, or dream it. He already knows. And so what we do when we gather in this way is we lift up the name of Jesus. We declare that he is everything. He is our all in all, which is an old phrase that makes no sense, but he's everything. but then life spills out of here. And when we worship him and he pours his spirit and his love and his mercy, all the things that we need out on us. I'll use an old Pentecostal phrase, whatever flows to you has to flow through you. Otherwise, you're a dead sea. So when God made a way for the Israelites to get through, he started putting life into the dead sea. There's dead things around. Can I tell you, what does this mean for us? When you follow the promise of God, when you move into a new season, when Poema people are present, life splashes. Number seven, remember, remember fourth of November. Just remember. Joshua 4. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, is this okay? Is this good? Now, when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them to take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. Verse 6 of Joshua 4. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. As spirit-filled Protestant believers, we are not good at remembering. So while this is a season that you're looking to forget, God wants you to remember. He wants you to remember that he led you through. Do you notice where they took stones from? From the muck in the middle. From the muck and the mud and the mire in the middle, they found memorial stones to worship Jesus, God. They didn't know him by that name yet, but they would. We do. Now get this, verse 9. Joshua also set up a pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day when this was written. He said, listen, we're going to put these stones on the outside, and when you're a grandpa and you're bringing your kids down to the park, and there's that monument with the plaque of this was the time when the Lord led us across, and your, grand, your grandkids go like, Grandpa Phil, what do these mean? 
you know, and you just tell them the story of what God did, but then you point to the middle. You see that raging river? I was there. You see that little stone that's peeking out the top? That's the top of a pile of rocks. You see that nastiness, that raging rapid? That's where I walked because God made a way. We gotta remember. I'm gonna remind you that if he did it once, he can do it again. Joshua 4.21, then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. Then you can tell them. Verse 23, for the Lord God, the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes and he kept it dry until you were all across just as he did at the Red Sea. Come on, if he did it once, he can do it again. You're gonna see great wonders among you today. When he dried it up until we had all crossed over, verse 24, he did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful so you might fear the Lord your God forever. He did it to remind this current generation that he's still able. But number nine, he also reminds reminds us that word gets out because he did it so everyone around would know his power. Now it might seem, I'm stepping down now. It might seem like, I feel like Bishop Jakes at the moment. He stands up straight. Anyways, it might seem like you wanna bury this thing. We'll just get real, real. It might seem like you wanna bury this thing. But as the Lord leads you through, he says, don't bury it. I did it so everyone will know the might and the power of my hands. You want to spin. He says, I want you to stop. Word's going to get out. I can handle it. I can handle my house. I can handle my children. I can handle my business. The justice of the Lord should not be mine. Joshua 5, when all the Amorite kings, see, I told you we get there, Joshua 5 verse 1. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived near the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people could cross, they lost heart and they were, what? Paralyzed with fear because of them. I want to explain two things to you. This Verse right here explains it. As you step into the new season, you're gonna experience two things. You're gonna first experience an incredible favor. There's gonna be incredible favor in this new season as you step into it. People with people around and people in the community, in the neighborhoods and in businesses, this incredible favor. You've already started to taste it with, with city care and the way that the, the police respond, all these kinds of things. This is the incredible favor of God where God's hand is upon it. This, this explains the incredible favor of God as you step into a new season because he makes a way where there is no way and when his hand is on it it's undeniable and people are like whoa 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 what a wonder this is and so the reaction to somebody who doesn't understand it is to be afraid of it that also explains the incredible pushback that is still ahead but may the pushback be a reminder of his presence because what they're actually doing is responding out of fear and fear out of the hand of the goodness of God and you can't explain it any other way So prepare for two things as you move into the next season. Favor and pushback. Favor and, we celebrate the favor. We wanna ignore the pushback. Haters gonna hate. No, no, we make a memorial and we say, thank Jesus for this pushback because he made a way where there was no way. And now people are acknowledging, they can't put words, they can't quantify it, so they respond in fear. But they're responding to his goodness as he leads you through and they're responding to his hand on you. Number 10, no mo manna. Joshua 5 verse 12. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land and it was never seen again. So from that, so from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. His provision looks different. That's what I need to let you know in this new season. His provision looks different. So they lived off of manna and quail. Manna, quail, manna, quail. The menu was manna three ways, quail. The moment they tasted of the fruits of the new land, the harvest of it, and by the way, they reaped things that they did not plant. 
So the moment they took the harvest and they started working the land, that temporary provision, which is how they knew the hand of God, stopped. He began to provide in a whole new way. He says, I don't have to provide you delivery. No more Uber Eats for you. I'm giving you the ability to work this land and to see a harvest. And you're going to taste of the fruits of your labor, which is the fruits of his goodness. So the temporary provision to get you through is going to lift. And there's a shift. And that feels like, oh, it's different. It is different. It is different. But it's his hand. Last thought, this is the starting line, not the finish line. Promised land, promised new season is not a finish line. It's a starting line. God used to deliver the food. Now they work the land. The new season means you've got to work the land. You've got to work the land. You've got to work the land. You've reaped a harvest of seeds that you haven't planted. There's been provision in a season that's been difficult and it's been tough and it's been draining. And it, like we're just acknowledging the reality of what has been, but we don't stay there. Now you're in a new season. When you're in a new season, you've got to work the lands. If you're going to work the land, you got to sow some seed. You got to plant your own harvest so that you can see what the, so you got to plant it so you can see the harvest that God has for you. I have to tell you, this looks like work. It feels like work. And there's going to be a fear and a hesitancy to say, if I plant the seeds in this season, is the harvest from the last season going to come up? Are, are these, 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 these nightmares going to come back and get us and haunt us? No, because God led you through it. And what? He's got your back. So you plant this seed. This building is too empty for you. Yeah, but I can't talk to my coworker about this hope in life that I have in Jesus because it goes back to the internet. Jesus is bigger than the internet. His life finds a way. Stop letting the past define you. Start letting the hope in life that's found in Jesus define you. Right? They'll know. Who can, then talk about it. Point to the stones. Yeah. And this is what God's done. And this is what he can do for you. You don't know that the person that you're talking to might have gone through a similar situation. And the fact that God led you through and led the community through to them speaks to their brokenness, to their humanity, to their real life, to their situation. So they've been looking for someone to be honest to say, look, if he did it once, he can do it again. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. We'll end in the New Testament so Josh feels satisfied. Here we go. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a, a synagogue message. Anyways, Galatians 6. Galatians 6. <laughs> Let's read the text, Brett. Don't be misled. You cannot mock, you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good, and at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. If we don't give up, you will reap harvest. Come on, who's ready for a new season? Can we send these 11 things out like in an email or something just as like a reminder? Because I think like as we move into it, we're going to have to remind, hey, remember that one thing. Like some of us are still stuck in shit on and like, that was the first, that was 39 minutes ago. <laughs> We're just going to go on the fly here. Um, team might as well come. Linda's going to pull something up. We're going to celebrate into the new season because prayer is a praise is declarative we're declaring the goodness of God 
over what comes next. We're declaring it over our lives, over our family, over our situation, over our finances. I might as well take the offering for you right now. The truth is, no, no, no. Like every time you give, you're declaring and expressing your trust in God. Every single time you give. It's, it's praise. It's praise. God, I'm thankful for what you've given me. I thank, I'm thankful for what you're gonna do. I honor you with my whole life by bringing my first fruits to you, which you can teach later. This isn't word of faith, this is just the Bible. I'm just telling you that sometimes your financial problems or struggles in life are directly connected to the fact that you have not invited Jesus into your finances because you don't trust him in that area. You just trust him in other areas. And you go, no, you just want my money. No, he just wants your heart because he says where your treasure is is where your heart is. And you've been holding back your heart because you thought he was after your wallet. And he says, no, I'm using your wallet to get to your heart. And what you will discover is the more that you praise me and the more that you trust me and the more that you honor me with the first of what you have, the more I can do with what's left over. And what's left over is more than enough because you've invited Jesus in to that situation. Come on, stand up to your feet right now. We're gonna lift up the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website, poemachurch.ca.